God of love, fill us this morning. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, have you ever heard about the two cows grazing in a pasture when they saw a milk truck pass by? You're supposed to say, no, Sarah, what happens? <laughs> on, on the side of the truck were the words pasteurized, homogenized, standardized, vitamin A added, which promoted one cow to say to the other, makes you feel kind of inadequate, doesn't it? Often, when we have experienced in any sort of rejection in our life, it makes, us, it makes us feel as though we are inadequate. Rejection is a hard pill to swallow. I'm willing to bet that everyone sitting in this room has been rejected at least once in your life. Whether it was in elementary school when you offered a valentine to that little boy or girl and they looked at you with nothing but disdain in their eyes. Or in high school when you liked someone who didn't like you back. Or maybe you wanted to be a part of something and the answer was no. Or maybe as an adult when you're working and you are called into the office only to be told that the company is moving on and they don't need your services anymore. Our family used to love to watch American Idol, especially when Rudolph Simon Cowell was on there as one of the judges. It's one thing to be rejected. It's another to put yourself out there for the whole world to see. And then the answer is no. And not only a no, but oftentimes a rude no, like get off the stage. I heard that Billy Graham's wife, Ruth, um, she had an uncontrollable urge to run out of the room the first time she ever heard Billy preach. She insisted that he improve his preaching before she would even marry him. Clearly it worked. But no matter what, rejection is really hard. It's never, ever easy. And today, we have to ask ourselves, what is up with the Savior of the world being rejected in his own hometown? This morning, we find ourselves in the middle of the story. As Father Donovan told y'all last week, I would be picking up where he left off. And he's right. The verses that we get this morning are a continuation of the story we heard last week. The lectionary has placed us in the synagogue right smack in the middle of the action. You may remember that Jesus had what I envision as a drop the mic moment. That ordinary day in the synagogue becomes a very extraordinary day when Jesus comes home to preach. You may find some similarities in our own worship. Their regular synagogue worship practices included the recitation of the Shema, praying while facing Jerusalem, the Amen response from the gathered congregation, reading from the sections of the scrolls of the Torah and the prophets, a sermon and a benediction. 
Any male could volunteer or be asked to pray or read portions from the Torah or the prophets. Likewise, any male could also be asked to give the sermon on that very Sabbath. So I ask y'all, are any of y'all ready to preach? Can you imagine coming in and Donovan's like, ah, it's your turn today. Ah. And also the, um, the readers that read, they weren't on any rota schedule like we have. They just walked in and they volunteered. And Jesus was the man that day. And on this Sabbath, Jesus volunteered to read the section from the prophets. He stands to read on a special platform and was given the scroll that he had requested, the scroll of Isaiah. He unrolls the scroll, he finds his place and begins to read. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recover sight to the blind, to set a liberty to those who are oppressed. In a dramatic moment, Jesus rolls the scroll back up, returns it to the attendant, and he sits down. Can you picture it? Everyone's that were sitting on their mats, their eyes were all on him. Then Jesus speaks from his place of sitting on his mat. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Drop the mic. That's exactly what the worshipers needed to hear on that day. They're all ears. They all were listening to what Jesus had to say. And then that's where we pick up today. In the text we have this morning, Jesus goes from being the hometown hero to being run out of town like the poor rejected singers on American Idol. Well, not really, but with years of prayer, thought, and the study of scripture behind him, he stands before his own town. He knew everybody there and they knew him. He preached like a man inspired, and of course he was. But what he said afterwards was what the opposite of what they thought they were going to hear. It's words that they were not expecting. He had more to say to them a hard truth to speak. But in their minds, if this was inspiration, they didn't want any part of it. You see, the worshipers listening to Jesus were operating from the perspective that God gives good stuff to the good people who obey the law and are on the good religious club. They thought that good things were going to happen because they were obedient to the law. They thought they were good enough. And they finally thought that God was about to take down those Romans and that they would finally live in peace. And yet, Jesus chose two stories of the prophets, two miraculous stories from the prophets, One that was about a time when Elijah went to the unnamed poor widow at Zarephath in Sidon. And the other was when Elisha healed the Syrian leper known as Naaman. Jesus could have easily told them what they wanted to hear. Stories about times when God could have helped the good 
Jewish widow or the Jewish leper who fell on hard times. Instead, he tells them two miraculous stories about God helping Gentiles. One poor widow and one leper who was full of pride. Jesus recalls the story from 1 Kings about the poor widow who was obedient and faithful to God. She probably thought she was preparing for her very last meal. She only had a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil when Elijah approached her. It was no mistake that in a nation that was required by law to care for its prophets, God turned to a poor widow to care for Elijah. And it's no mistake that God provided her with all she needed and even healed her dead son. And on the other hand, Naaman was a great hero. He was used to getting respect, who was initially outraged at Elisha's prophetic instructions to go and wash in the Jordan to be healed from his leprosy. He thought he was just too good to wash in the little, tiny, dirty Jordan River. Remember what else happened in the Jordan River where our Savior was baptized. But he thought he was too good to wash. But eventually, it was, um, it was there that he went and dipped in seven times. And we, when he arose that seventh time, he was healed from his leprosy. So why did this good news, these two beautiful stories of God's miracles, make those people so mad on that day? Why would they be so angry and want to drive Jesus out of town? What are they so mad about that they rejected him, walked to the cliff, and wanted to throw him off? What Jesus tells him on that, them on that Sabbath It's not simply two tales about the prophets. The stories that Jesus chose to share are incredible stories of how God works in the world. God works in the forgotten. God works in times of emptiness. God works when the cupboards are empty and all you have is a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil. God works when our hearts are empty. God works in times of our great sickness, and God works when we feel abandoned. God works in our failures and when we are rejected. God works in the lives of the Jews and the Gentiles alike. So still, why would this make them so angry? You know why? Because it required them to look in the mirror and see themselves in the story. They lived in a world that was governed by the law, and they wanted gold stickers for being obedient to the law. Going to synagogue on the Sabbath, they wanted God to reward them because they thought that they were good Jews. Frankly, We may want God to give us a gold sticker for being at church on Sunday mornings, especially when it's so dang cold outside. Or maybe we want God to give us a gold sticker for doing something nice for somebody else. 
or just because we are good people. But they didn't want to look in the mirror. And they, don't want, they didn't want to realize that they were like the widow at Zarephath or that they were like the leper who needs to be healed. They didn't hear this as good news because they didn't believe that at their core, they were like the Gentiles that needed to be restored. In order to hear the good news, they had to believe that they were the poor, they were the captive and the blind, that they were a people in need of a savior, a savior that would transform their hearts and their lives in the way that they did not understand. They wanted God to do them things for them on their own terms. And that just doesn't work. It didn't work for them and it doesn't work for us. Perhaps Jesus is inviting inviting you to look in the mirror yourself this morning and see yourself as a person in need of a savior, to look in the mirror and see who you are and where you feel abandoned or rejected, poor, hungry, or just dang tired. As Bishop Howard reminded us yesterday during his address to us at convention, it is our need that unlocks the heart of God. It's our need that unlocks the heart of God. It's in our need where you will find Jesus, the one who was rejected and abandoned himself, the one who was thrown out of his own hometown by his very friends, the one who knows your deepest hurts because he feels them too, the one who was nailed to the cross because he loves you. The one who invites you to come to his table this morning, not because you must, but because you may. Not because you are strong, but because you are weak. Come, not because of any goodness of your own gives you a right to come, but because you need mercy and help. Come, because you love the Lord a little and would like to love him a whole lot more. Come, because he loves you and he gave himself for you. Come and meet the risen Christ. Amen.